0: following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. We've been taking some time to look at um, three ideas that help classify who we are as Narrative Church. And these came out of a vision meeting we had with some of our leadership at the beginning of the year. (coughs) And at the beginning of the year, the guy who, from the district who came in to help us lead this asked a simple question. What does narrative mean? What's it, what's it about? And I was blessed that the response was these three ideas, and I didn't say them. They came from the group. Simple, relational, gospel-centered. So we've talked about simple, we've talked about relational. This week we're talking about gospel-centered. And I want to start off with this question. What is the gospel? We talk about that a lot and make assumptions that you know. I want to give you two minutes. People around you are at your table, or if you're on your own, you know, write it down on your phone or something. Answer this question. What is the gospel? All right. As we come back together, anyone willing to answer this question from your discussions or what you wrote down? Good... Gospel transliterated from well not translated translated from Greek is literally good news, and we take it about the good news of Jesus so that's good the story, of God's love for us. the story of God's love for us. I like that one. There you go. Larry is currently working through some uh master of divinity work, so i was I was waiting for his. Official answer there, um, but that's a good one too, which is the um, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus for you. We talk a lot of times, we can use words in the church that become just a word. And I think the gospel can become just a word, because a lot of times it can be used as an excuse that we could say, "Oh, we just preach the gospel." But sometimes what that means is we don't tackle hard topics. We go, oh, we just preach the gospel. Well, yeah, but the gospel invades our life, so shouldn't that touch everything? Or we say, oh, yeah, the gospel is about what Jesus has done for you, but then we tack on all these requirements of saying, and now here's what you have to do for him. There's actually, and I don't know how I came across it this year, um, there's a reformed church, which is another church body um, up in Denver, that they are now offering a $25,000 bounty, basically, to anyone who would come and debate them and prove that salvation is found through faith alone. Their argument being, oh no, yeah, you get access to salvation through Jesus, but then you have to, buy your good works, earn it. And it was funny because I texted this um, to my, my friend Mark, who's going to be coming down here to join us as a church planter here in the next month. And the speed at which we were like, yeah, here are the scripture verses. And we're like, should we go make $25,000? And then we quickly realized anyone offering that is going to like already be set. They're not really going to want to debate. So we're like, well, Then we'd be out airfare. I mean, we'd be in Denver, but you know. When we talk about being gospel-centered, what I want to spend some time in this morning is talking about how that looks and and taking a similar tact as I did with simple to say, what does gospel-centered mean for us in our life? What does gospel-centered mean for us in discipleship, which would be how we live out our faith, how we grow in our faith? And what does gospel centered mean for us as a church? So, I want to start off with this quote from our Uncle Marty. Martin Luther wrote, and he said, If you ask, what is the gospel? No better answer can be given than these words of the New Testament Christ gave his body and shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins. This alone is to be preached to Christians, impressed upon them, and faithfully commended to them for consistent, constant meditation. So I know, Will, thanks. I know you jumped ahead. So this is the work of Jesus. This is where I want to start. And what Luther is quoting here, I really like, you know, we get that first part. Christ gave his body and shed his blood for forgiveness of sins. Okay, yeah, that's the gospel. But what I like that he adds here is this alone is to be preached to Christians, impressed upon them, and faithfully commended to them for constant meditation. It's so easy for us to take this good news of Christ for us and make an and in there. To throw in that, well, yeah, it's for my sins and. And I have to live a certain way and I have to believe a certain thing and I have to, now there is is goodness in that idea that we don't want to just run off on our own. We don't want to ignore everything else but if we start saying, my salvation is based on anything outside of that, we've lost the gospel because the gospel is the foundation for everything else in our lives. But if we start allowing little things to step into that role of saying, well, it's, it's Jesus and. It's Jesus and my works. It's Jesus and my doctrine. It's Jesus and my beliefs. All good things. Doctrine, discipleship, sanctification. These are all beautiful parts of our Christian walk. But we can't let them become our salvation. Because what happens is when that becomes our salvation, we start thinking we can earn that price. And we slowly walk away from what Jesus did for us. And so that's why I love when he says, faithfully commended to them for constant meditation. When we started narrative um, in 2015, as we were getting together, one of the things we said was we never want to assume the gospel. And what we meant by that was when you walk in your, our doors, you know, our very nice cafeteria doors here, if you are brand new with us, or if you have been at Narrative the whole time it's been here, we never want you leaving not understanding that Jesus is for you. That if there's anything we can be a broken record on, it is saying that Jesus came for sinners of which we are one. And that it is what he did that saves us. Paul would write to the church in Corinth and say this. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as a fir- of first importance what I also received that Christ died for sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the 3rd day, that he was buried, that he was raised on the 3rd day in accordance with scriptures. This is about Jesus' work for us that Paul feels it is important enough to write to the church in Corinth and say, don't forget. Because sometimes when we come into the church, we think, oh yeah, we know about that Jesus thing. We know, yeah, the cross, the grave, that's great, high fives. Yeah, how do I go out and become a better me? Well, what's gonna happen is if we turn church into self-help, into a works-based understanding, if we turned it into what can I do, maybe we get a really great flame that burns out really quickly because the source of that excitement is not a deep well. It may burn, but it'll burn quick and bright and go out. What we want to find is that power source that lies beneath. This this idea of the gospel and what Jesus does for us shows out throughout scriptures. Isaiah would prophesy this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all john would write in his gospel for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for god did not send his son into the world to be to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. The blessing we have to say we are gospel-centered is not to differentiate us from other churches. It's not to say, oh, look at us. You know, we did it. It's to remind ourselves to say, listen, the work of Jesus is where we find our foundation. What he has done is where we lay claim. This is where we start. Everything we do starts here because the temptation is for us to run to our works, to try and find a way to justify ourselves. And so when we talk about being gospel-centered, it is done on the work of Jesus and not ours. I loved when Larry emphasized, because this is something when you go and get a, a degree and it's based in Lutheran theology. It's what he talked about. What he just said is proclamation. I'm explaining to you the gospel, right? I'm telling you, this is what it is. This is where scripture says it, which is great. The proclamation is that all this is done for you and for me. That we proclaim the gospel together because we never want it to be something that is solely an explanation but instead it is something that every week we come together and hear anew, this is for you. And I'll tell you what, God keeps working through that in my life. I have lived in this my entire life. I was baptized within the month that I was born. I grew up in a Christian household. I have incredible parents who poured into us and I still struggle all the time going, but Lord, if I was a little bit better, you'd love me a little more. Maybe if I could just follow you more, then then maybe. So every week when I get to stand up here and proclaim to you, know that it's coming right back at me to say, I need this to return over and again, weekly, daily, sometimes by the minute to the fact that Jesus is for me. So let's talk about a gospel-centered life. Two pieces of scripture, one from Romans, one from Colossians. From the book of Romans, chapter 5. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love this juxtaposition. While we were weak, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And verse seven is this fun, like, you know, Paul wanted to make sure that preachers would have a hard time preaching this section of scripture because It honestly is really easy. And then you get to verse seven. What do you mean? A righteous person, a good person? What's he talking about? Well, think about put self-righteous in front of there. How many of us would want to die for a self-righteous person? You know, that's the person you step out of the way of the bullet, right? You go, oh no, right? It's one of those things that you're looking and go, listen, I said out loud what we were all thinking, okay? (laughs) But think about that. The person that you just go, no, thank you. But maybe a good person. Yeah, no, I'd jump in the way for a good person. What Paul is doing is saying, listen, the self-righteous person, the good person, everything in between. Because the righteous person, they would look at and say, oh, the self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees who see themselves as important. Yeah, I wouldn't take a bullet for them. But maybe for my buddy down the road, who I love, who deserves my love. What Paul is doing is he's saying, look, one person you'd think they don't deserve this the other person you say oh they deserve it and then paul immediately goes while wow, you were a sinner neither self righteous nor good because yeah self righteous person no thanks a good person sure but you were even worse than both of those but god chose his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us, that's the good news for us. That it wasn't someday when we're better, someday when maybe we act right and get everything in line. No, Christ died for us knowing exactly who we were, exactly the struggles we would have, the things in our lives that would pull us further from Him. And still He goes to the cross. Paul then writes to the church. In Colossae and Colossians says this: "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all, the head of all rule and authority. A gospel-centered life starts with saying, "Well I was a sinner, Christ died for me." And it continues by saying... And that is where I stake my claim. What Paul writes here to this church in Colossae is he's saying, listen, don't be pulled away by these people who are going to tell you it's about some weird spiritual thing. It's about, um, you know, these things of the world. No, no, no. Stay focused on Christ in him who bodily came for you and died. I've shared this before. I'll keep sharing it again. Is uh, I had a, preaching professor that always asked us, what does this mean for me on Monday? He was like, if your sermon doesn't have impact for people on Monday, don't preach it. In fact, what I, what I loved is he shared stories. And this guy was, a, I mean, he is one of the preachers in our church body. So you're nervous every time you'd have to preach in front of him for class anyways. But then one of his big deals was like, don't let me plan my next woodworking project while you're preaching. And he pulls out a bulletin from a church because he was seminary president at that time. So he got invited to all these different churches to come and, you know, talk about the seminary and stuff. He pulls out a bulletin where he had designed a shed. And he said, it looks like I'm taking notes. But if you lose my attention, if you're not telling me about what Jesus is doing for me through the week, (coughs) I'm gonna get a project done. And I thought, don't tell my mom that. (laughs) She would not be happy that you were not paying attention. But the lesson sunk in for us, which was to say, the gospel isn't just contained to your life for this hour on Sunday. It permeates everything. What does it mean for you on Monday? While you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday same thing. That is the foundation of where we are to say a gospel-centered life is one where the identity of who we are is rooted and anchored in that fact of Jesus for us, because that then begins transforming who we are. So what does that mean for discipleship, which is following Jesus, which is saying, okay, Jesus, you've done this, Now, how do I step out and follow you? Because, like I said earlier, listen, that justification piece, that salvation piece, that is all from outside of us. That is all what Jesus has done. But he says, listen, I don't wanna leave you where you are. So a gospel-centered life is one that finds foundation in that idea, in that identity of Jesus for us. But Jesus for us transforms who we are. Okay, so so didn't Jesus just, like, didn't we just read all this about how I I don't do anything? Well, as we read this, think about this, the vine and the branches. So the vine is that central piece. Branches come out of it, right? So think about bearing fruit. If the branch is attached to the vine... It's going to bear fruit. That's what it does. But notice that even the fruit-bearing branches are pruned so they can bear more fruit. A life of discipleship that is gospel-centered says, I am connected to the vine. I am in Christ and what he's done. And the fruit that is born, you don't have to look at others to compare. You get to look and say, I bear the fruit the Lord has prepared for me to bear. When was the last time you walked up to a a grapevine? I don't know if any of you have. I haven't, but please stay in the metaphor with me. And just thought, you know what? This one branch really focused on bearing a really great cluster, while that one, that one's too small a branch will bear what it bears. But what happens is the vine dresser, when they see a branch that bears good fruit, you prune it back because it grows back stronger. You only cut off and burn the branches that are not providing. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, if you are in me and I am in you, you are going to bear fruit. There's nothing you can do about that. That's going to happen. Now, here's the problem, the really annoying thing of following Jesus is he goes, but I'm not going to leave you there. In fact, those places in your life that aren't of me, I'm just going to keep cutting back because I want those places to bear fruit. And this is a lifelong pursuit. That when you look at a life of gospel discipleship, a lot of times we can think, oh, when I follow God... I want this all to happen by Thursday, right? You go, okay, I believe in Jesus. He's for me. And now here are the places in my life. All right, Lord, here we go. Make me a perfect Christian by Thursday. The problem is between Sunday and Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday happen. And maybe on Monday, that one coworker, you know, the one you'd step out of the way for the bullet for, like they are just grinding you and you are just done, and they're testing that love that God has put in you. On Tuesday, it's home life. It's a roommate. It's, it's your spouse. It's, it's the kids. It's your neighbors. And so you look and you go, I just can't take it. And you're like, ah. And then by Wednesday, it's all down the tubes. And by Thursday, you're like, Lord, I don't even know what happened this week. The joy we find is this is a long pursuit. Um, There's a quote from a pastor named Eugene Peterson, and the way he said it was, following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. It's learning to say, this is a lifelong thing. Discipleship is about abiding and being pruned and growing. But it's gospel-centered because it says, I don't do it separate from the vine. I'm not jumping off the vine and going, I'm gonna plant my own vine, Lord. You just watch me grow. He's saying, no, 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 no. The foundation is me for you, that I am the vine and you are the branches. And that brings me a lot of peace because all of a sudden I don't have to force growth. Right, all the nutrients All that growth comes from the vine. So discipleship is leaning into that and saying, I abide over and over and over in the fact that Jesus is for me. And that transforms how I live my life. So then how do we do this as a church? What is the gospel-centered church? I want to read to you um two pieces of scripture from first and second or first Corinthians 1 and then first Corinthians 2 Paul writes and says for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God and from chapter 2 and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Who we are as a church to say we are gospel-centered is to say we preach Christ crucified. The joy we find is that Jesus is for us in everything that we do. We want to talk about that. Do we want to grow as disciples? Yes, Do we want to see lives changed and become better? Yes, but we do that by leaning on the promise of Christ crucified. You see that in how we structure worship together, our liturgy. We sing songs together, but every week we confess and receive absolution. We confess the Apostles' Creed together, which is the basic tenets of our faith, which is Jesus for us. We read scripture, which reminds us of those things. You hear a sermon that I hope weekly is telling you about Jesus for you. We take the Lord's Supper together, which is a gift of that grace every week in a way that we can touch, taste, and see. Matt and I have a way we set up song selection, There's some songs you may know that we're not singing. It doesn't mean they're horrible, but we want to sing songs that take us back to Jesus and what he teaches us. So we filter through our songs for that purpose. As a church, we are constantly seeking together to find that gospel centrality that says the most important thing we do here together is to remember that Jesus is for us. And that's the good news. Because you see, as we talk about these things, if you can give me the next slide, Will, we say simple, relational, gospel-centered. But we could also talk about it being gospel-centered, relational, and simple. That we have that foundation of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And we live that out every week together. That it is our joy to live in this place that says, this is what Jesus has done for me. We'll talk about all kinds of things, but it comes back at the end of the day over and over to that point, the work of Jesus on the cross for us. So I want to end this time with one simple thing. Wherever you are in your life, whatever struggles are coming internally or externally for you. Know this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. The good news of Jesus, we will preach it over and over again so that none of us assume that the gospel is unknown this week. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would make the gospel new in us again and again and again. Teach us that good news. Let us learn what it means for us throughout the week. Lord, may we find it as our foundation and our identity of who you are for us, that you would come and you would die and you would rise again for our benefit. Lord, may we learn that truth over and over and over again, that you are for us. May we take that into our week. May we share that with those who know you to encourage them, with those who are disconnected, to tell them of the good news of who you are. And may we rejoice that you are for us. Amen.